Well, let's stand together, and I thought it would be fitting to read responsively together Psalm 2, which points to the King whom God has set up. I will read the reader sections, and you can join me for the all sections. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of a decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to the Word again this morning with joy, We open up together to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Help us to see Him for who He is. The King that You have set on Your holy hill. The One whom You have appointed as ruler and judge over the universe. He is worthy. And so Father, as we see, may we respond rightly. May we kiss the Son. May we take refuge in Him. May He be our life and our continual pursuit until we see Him face to face. We pray in His precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It's my delight to share with you the Word of God, as we consider the glory of God in Christ. And you can turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. I'm not sure how many texts you'll turn to, but I'll have them up for you on the PowerPoint as well. We're going to do a bit of a survey of the Gospel of John. And when I think about Jesus Christ, my mind quickly goes to this Gospel. For in the first chapter, we see this phrase, we have seen His glory. The glory of God is an all-consuming reality. We know that. Even from basic, often memorized verses like this. So whether you eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Such an all-consuming concept. And yet, sometimes, the glory of God is a difficult concept to define. 
What is the glory of God? Pastor Randy gave us a sheet, half sheet, at the begin- as we were pre- preparing and planning for this particular Bible conference, and there were some words on it that I think were helpful and rang true with me. The radiance of God, the glory of God is His perfections displayed. And that's one of the unique things about the glory of God. There's different ways in Scripture that the glory of God is used. Sometimes it speaks of His displayed perfections. Why it's associated with light. Something made visible. Something audible, tangible. Like the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens and the earth are God's glory put on display. Psalm 24.8 Who is the King of glory? But it's not only used in that way. The word glory is also used in the experience of God's perfections. God might display His perfections, but we could be blind to those perfections and not be able to enjoy them. And so also, the psalmist, Psalm 73.24, Psalms 62.7, speaks of the glory of God as His salvation. The attributes of God enjoyed by His creation. Seen, heard, felt, experienced is also the glory of God. Sometimes the psalmist writes that this is my glory. We get to enjoy the glory of God. Other times in the Scripture, the glory of God is understood as a reflection of God. We are like His mirrors. God made us as His image bearers. We're made in His likeness. And so we're called to reflect the glory of God It's His perfections imitated, channeled, magnified, or brought near for others to see. This is why we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are changed from one degree of glory to the next by the Spirit of God. Even in 2 Thessalonians 1.10, that verse calls us to attend to the day when we will see Jesus face to face And His glory will be in us. One author, commentator, talked about us being like a filament for the glory of God on that day when we will be with Him. We will burn and glow with the very glory of God. Where at one point we fell short of the glory of God. Then we will rejoice in the glory of God. Glory is also used in terms of the exaltation of God. His perfections praised. Psalm 66.2, Psalm 105.3 parallels the idea of the giving of praise with glorifying God. Perfections praised, admired, exalted in. This is the glory of God. Where do we see the glory of God? We see it in creation. We've talked about that. We certainly see it in Scripture as we have Even this weekend already, the glory of God is in the Gospel. And certainly, we see the glory of God. We experience the glory of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 says He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6 shows us that the glory of God is in Christ. It's Paul's ministry. Notice verse 4. 
in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The gospel is the glory of Christ. It's about Him. He is the image of God. And so, to understand the gospel is to see the light of God's glory in Christ. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory is reflected in Christ. That's why we believe in Him for our salvation. You cannot believe until you first see. You have to see Christ as glorious. The Savior whom He is. The perfections of God reflected from Him in His person and saving work. Then we believe. The Gospel of John, more than any other Gospel, has the most occurrences of the word glory. You could do a word search and see that. The book of John is filled with this concept of glory. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. We've seen the perfections of God in Christ. We've experienced the attributes of God at work in our lives through Christ. We praise God by praising Christ. There we see the glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God in Christ in the Gospel of John, John reveals the glory of God in at least five different ways. We'll see how many different ways we can think of as you were to study it, but I'm going to just narrow it down to five The creation of Christ, and I do mean by that subjective, not objective creation. It's Christ who's doing the creating. The revelation of Christ. The incarnation of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. And the exaltation of Christ. All seen by simply looking up the references of glory in the Gospel of John. And seeing the glory of God in Christ. Let's Together, behold the glory of God in Christ and respond to it together. Believe. Love. Follow Him. There is no other more appropriate response than to believe and rest. Delight in Him. Love Him. Be devoted to Him. His, His glory demands a response from us, doesn't it? There is no one else like Him. First of all, together, the creation of Christ. You see this in John 1, 1 through 1-5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. find these verses so profound. The Word is the Son, the eternal Son. Another name for the Son because He is the one who communicates God. And it says here that He was God's agent of creation. All things were made by Him. Pastor Randy brought us to that last night. 
He is the one who creates. He speaks. And the glory of God through the agency of Christ's creation is put on display. Creation is the work of Christ. And it's interesting in verse 4 how it says, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men and that darkness has not overcome it. Now we don't see God in person right here today or anywhere around us in the world. But what one thing we can see is life. Life everywhere. And we look at ourselves and we, we think back to our experience and we think, did, did you ever make life? Did you ever make a person? Did you ever make a bug? Really, one that operates by itself. A chicken. Did anybody else make a chicken? Not one of us can make life. And so we look at each other and we see all this life, this created life around us, and we think, this had to have come from somewhere. From some designer creator that's far greater than myself. Because I look at the, the detail and the, the glory of this creation, and I think, I could never do this. You could never do that. We've never seen a human being create another human being. And so just as we meditate through those concepts, you know what that is to us? That's light. That's light. That's information. That's truth coming through that says, there must be a creator. The glory of Christ as the agent of creation shines upon us daily as we see the life all around us. We're meant to make connections. We're meant to, by faith, make the connection between the creation and the Creator. The connection between the Creator and also the man, Christ Jesus. He is the one and same person. And so what is our response to Him? Make those connections and receive Him as He is. Isn't that what it says to us in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13? He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, nothing was created that Christ did not make. And as we look around us and see all that life, we're to respond to his glory there by saying, that is Christ's glory. I receive him for who he is. Creator, Lord, God. I think of Romans 1.18. Don't suppress that truth. Don't suppress it because you love your sin. Receive it. You can't deny it. You can't run from the truth. You can only suppress it. For as long as God allows you to, instead of suppressing it, honor Him and give Him thanks. Romans 1.21 speaks of the opposite of that. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. When we look around us, when we look at each other, we look at the creation, the sky, the sea, the land, the mountains, all of it. One thing we can do is give Christ a simple response of glory. And it is saying what? Thank you. Everything that we receive and enjoy is from the hand of Christ Himself. Honor Him for it and give Him thanks. 
Secondly, the revelation of Christ. We see the revelation of Christ and we behold his glory there. What do I mean by this? The scriptures is really what I mean. And I, and I come to this from John chapter 12, verses 36 to 41. Listen to what Jesus says here. While you have the light, speaking of himself, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Isn't that interesting? Believe in the light. I'm here. I'm speaking truth to you. Receive it. And they wouldn't. And so what does Jesus do sometimes? He hides himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things. Why? Because he saw his glory and spoke of him. What is, Isaiah, what is John saying there? Isaiah the prophet said these things, this is the quotation from Isaiah, because he saw his, he, speaking of Isaiah, saw his, who's his? Jesus, right? That's the, the subject of this section. Saw his glory, saw Christ's glory, and spoke of him. So then we ask the question, When did Isaiah see his glory and where did Isaiah speak of him? And the text certainly alludes to one text in particular, Isaiah 53, because it says there, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What is that but the beginning verses of Isaiah chapter 53? But where else did we know that Isaiah saw his glory? Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah saw the glory of the sovereign Savior. We now know who the holy, holy, holy God of Isaiah 6 is. Who is it? Christ in all of His glory. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is what? Full of His glory. The glory of Christ fills the earth. John gives us this clue. And certainly, he's a sovereign Savior because he's high and lifted up and his robe of, of, of righteousness and his robe of sovereign reign fills the temple. And yet, he's a Savior, isn't he? Because he sent the messenger to take the coal from the place of atonement and purify. Purify Isaiah with it. Certainly also... Isaiah saw Jesus in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Christ there predicted and depicted in Isaiah 53, the one upon whom God would lay our sins. The one who would slay our sins by his own substitutionary death on the cross. Who would go to the cross silently with humility and ultimate love. The one who would rise from the dead 
and accomplish all of the purposes of God. So we see the glory of Christ in the revelation of Scripture. From cover to cover, the Scripture is filled with the glory of God in Christ. Jesus said this also in John 5, 39-40. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. The Pharisees, just like so many professing Christians nowadays, look at the Old Testament Scriptures simply as a bunch of good things that do to try to earn eternal life. That's how the Pharisees looked at the Scriptures. And yet Jesus said it is they that bear witness about me. And yet, they refused to come to Him that they would have life. Moses spoke of Christ, wrote of Him. John 5, 45-47, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who, will, who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Yeah, the, the, the Pharisees were setting their hope for entering the kingdom of God on the keeping of Moses' law. And it, was, it would be Moses who would condemn them because everything Moses wrote was meant to prepare them for whom? Christ. For if you believe Moses, you'd believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Where did Moses write? Christ? Deuteronomy 18.15 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. What well, sounds like God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration? Listen to him. And there's Moses giving them the hint beforehand. Listen to him. John 5, 46-47, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. What is our response to seeing the glory of Christ in the Scriptures and Revelation? Dear ones, turn to see Christ in the Scripture and enjoy Spirit-given freedom to behold His glory. Here's the thing. This is why we've been having this study on Wednesday night, beginning at Moses, looking to see Christ in the Old Testament. We have to change our mind about what we're looking for when we come to the Scriptures. We have to turn to see Christ. That's the, the recommendation, the command of Moses, or, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 16-18. He's talking about the, the Israelite people who are still looking at the Old Testament and just seeing Moses' laws in order to try to make themselves righteous. He's telling them, Turn away from that to Christ. If you will turn to see Christ in the Scriptures, then you will have a Spirit-given freedom that removes the veil of confusion when you look in the Scriptures and you will see the glory of Christ and then you will be transformed into His likeness, which is God's redemptive work. And so I would encourage us to incessantly seek for the glory of Christ in Scriptures. When you, whenever you get to open the Bible each day, and you open that book, and you begin your time with prayer, do you pray, God, please show me the glory of Christ? What else is there to look for more important than that? You know, aren't we sort of, how can I say it, aren't we sort of selfish readers? 
We often read to try to find something that makes us feel better about ourselves. That's not what the Bible's for. The Bible is the revelation of the glory of God. So look for him there. Turn to see Christ. Seek for his glory incessantly. Believe what you see. Come to him and keep coming to him for eternal life. Just like Jesus calls us to. Thirdly, the incarnation of Christ. We see the glory of God in the incarnation of Christ. Chapter 1 moves quickly to verse 14. The eternal Son, in an expression of unparalleled humility, takes on human nature. The Word became flesh. Dwelt among us. And in the person of Christ, the God-man, there we see the glory of God. The only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think how unique the God-man is. Only one eternal Son. Only one eternal Son who took on human nature and lived with us. And he wasn't, he wasn't someone out of our reach. It says that we even... We wouldn't look at him and think of him as someone beautiful. He was even someone to be despised and rejected. He was a very normal person, very approachable. And he did so to reveal to us the glory of God, full of grace, full of truth. Otherwise, we would never be able to see God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Why can't we see God? He's a spirit. He's a spirit. And yet, God, in glorious love and humility, has made himself known to us. Christ, the God who is at the Father's side. What a phrase. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. God didn't have to do that. But he's come to us to reveal himself to us so kindly in this way. I want to think about three different ways in which the incarnation of Christ reveals the glory of God, Christ's humility, Christ's words, Christ's works. Let's think of this together. During the earthly life and ministry of Christ, you realize that he did not come into the world speaking, working, seeking for his own glory. You ever seen that in the Gospel of John? Jesus, even though he is the God-man, did not come seeking to be harvesting glory from himself. This is so interesting to look at. Jesus, the Son of God, in unparalleled humility, lived for whose glory? The Father's glory. Every moment of every day of his life on earth. He did so, how? By seeking the Father's glory, doing the Father's will constantly. Seeking his father's, or speaking his father's words, doing the works that his father had told him to do. Turn with me to John chapter five. There's a few different passages we could turn to, but I think we'll just we'll turn to this one, John five. I want to read this section to you, verse thirty through forty-seven. 
Listen to the humility of Christ in His, in his pursuit, in what He is doing, in His goal, in His mission. Put yourself in this place as well. There's so many things to get. There's just so many applications to get out of these things. Do we, do we think and talk like this as well? Jesus says, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is judged because I seek not my own will. I seek, this is, this is the eternal Son in human form. I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He's referring to the Father. You sent John, or you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive from that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you're willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The Father bore witness about the person of Christ through the works that the Father commanded Jesus to do. The Father who sent me, verse 37, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, yet it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If, or if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? As I read this, I think here I see that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. He did the Father's will alone, verse 30. And so Jesus wasn't the only one to bear witness about himself. The Father also bore witness about him. You see that in verses 30 through 32. The Father bore witness about the Son through the witness of John the Baptist, through the witness of Jesus' works, and the words that the Father told him to say, and through the witness of the Scriptures. Verses 33 to 40. Therefore, Jesus did not seek to gain glory from people during the days of his humiliation. He simply did the Father's will, completely trusting the Father to bring glory to him at the right time. Christ made Himself of no reputation in order to do the will of the Father alone while completely trusting the Father to glorify Him at the right time. And think about this. It was precisely through the Father's, through Jesus' perfect Father-reflecting humility that the glory of God, the Father, was perfectly displayed in the Incarnation. How do we see the glory of God in Christ? He was humble. 
and sought to only reflect the glory of God. There was no self-will in Jesus Christ, the man. No self-seeking, no self-glorifying in the earthly human life of Jesus to obscure the glory of God the Father reflecting from the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, the goal of the incarnation of Christ was to seek the glory of whom? The Father, Him who sent Him. And isn't that where the whole, isn't that where the whole redemptive life of Christ ends up anyway? Think of uh, Philippians 2, 1-11. through He humbled Himself, but then was exalted. Ultimately, how does verse 11 end there? To the glory of God the Father. Look at John 7.18 here. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent Him is true and in Him there is no falsehood. What an amazing, God-glorifying humility Jesus lived with. The perfect, Spirit-empowered humility of Christ before His Father was the platform on which the glory of God was perfectly and powerfully displayed. And then, specifically, we can see the glory of God reflected in the incarnate life of Jesus through two things. His words and His works. Let's look at that. Christ's words. No one ever spoke like Jesus. His words and teachings were a powerful display of the glory of God. Never was there such an extreme response to the words of a teacher some were amazed at his authority, right? They, they would respond after listening and say, no one ever spoke like this man. Others were infuriated enough to take his life. Listen to what is written here. John 3, 31-34. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. Not so Jesus. He who comes from heaven is above all. He, he, he is the man from heaven. He is the man of heaven, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And yet what? No one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true, for he whom God has sent this Jesus, how does he speak? He utters the words of God. Glory pouring out of Jesus every time he opens his mouth. He utters the words of God. How is he able to do that? Well, in, in, in humility, he completely submitted himself to this Holy Spirit who, in, who filled him. He has the Spirit without measure. He certainly gives it without measure. Remember the the things that were spoken between the woman, the Samaritan woman and Jesus. The woman said to him, I know that, G that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, what's he, what are his words going to be like? He will tell us everything, all things. Talk about words of glory. Can you, can you think of any other person in this room that can say, well, they, they can tell me everything. No, no, that's Christ's and Christ's alone. The glory of God in, in perfect wisdom and knowledge. 
And then, of course, Jesus answered, I who speak to you am he. And that's then how the woman was changed and born again. She saw his glory. And so her invitation, the others were, come, see a man who what? Who told me everything. Who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? No one ever spoke like Jesus. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. The omniscience of God. The glory of his omniscience pouring through the words of Christ. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believed, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. They just listened to Jesus. And they came away so impacted by the glory of God, they said this is the Savior of the world. John 7. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? That's a funny question, isn't it? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. There's the humility of Christ and the words of truth from the Father being put on display. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In him there is no falsehood. John 8, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to him, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Many verses speak of the authority of Christ and the power of Christ to save in His words and His glory. He says it over and again through the Gospels of John. Look at John 17, 6-8. I have manifested Your name. Jesus is praying to His Father. Through His words, He manifested the name of God to the people whom you, whom, whom you gave me out of the world, Jesus says. Yours they were. You gave them to me and they have kept Your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. This is is what Jesus accomplished through his words. He revealed the glory of the Father. He manifested the glory of God. His disciples received. They believed. They knew that he came from them. So then, what name? Think about this in the Gospel of John. How did did Jesus reveal the glory of God? What name did Jesus manifest to those who believed in Him that revealed to them His glory and the glory of His Father? Isn't that the theme? One of the major themes of the Gospel of John? The seven I Am statements? He revealed the glory of God's name. 
He said, I am, I am, I am. Seven times. Exodus 3.14, right? That he was saying that he was one and the same with Yahweh. The self-existent, self-sustaining, eternal God who in covenant bound himself by steadfast love to his people to redeem them. And Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. I am the one who gives spiritual life through my life and death and resurrection. I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who who speaks the truth with authority and brings clarity and life and salvation through my words. I am the door. I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the only way to, to spiritual life. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I lead you into green pastures. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the only one who can raise from the dead physically, spiritually, and bring you to live in eternity with the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. He is the one who truly produced righteousness unto God the Father. And the one who, through the Spirit, will produce that righteousness in us as well. That's how Jesus revealed the glory of God in His words. He revealed the name. The name of salvation. So what's our response to Jesus' words? Be in awe of His authority. You ever listen to these monologues from Christ in the Gospels and you you finish it up and you're like, wow, no one ever spoke like that. Believe. When you read, see His glory. Believe He has been sent from the Father. Believe and receive His every word. Keep His word. Abide in His Word. Be in awe of Him. Christ's works also revealed the glory of the Father. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent Me to accomplish His work. Jesus said these things. Notice, He says He only what He sees the Father doing is what He does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son, shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may what? Marvel. The Father shows the Son these glorious works. The Son works them out. His creation looks at those works and does what? Wow. What a glorious God. Jesus spoke of these things often. He does the works of the Father. John 17, verse 4, I have, Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry and he says, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What works did Jesus do that glorified the Father and revealed his glory? Well, there's where John hits the nail on the head again under divine inspiration. John 20, 30-31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. I'll finish that verse later. John 21-25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John writes glorious signs into the Gospel of John. The seven signs of Christ match up nicely to the seven Words of Christ. They reveal the glory of God in Christ. Of all the signs, 
why did John choose these? Why did the Holy Spirit choose these in the Gospel of John? Well, they reveal the glory of Christ. He turned water into wine. In fact, it's interesting here, the first sign that Jesus did in the, that's recorded in the Gospel of John and the last one both speak of the glory of God. When Jesus gets done turning the water into wine, it says there in verse 11 that He revealed His glory and the disciples began to believe in Him. And then the very last sign, when He raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, verse 4 and verse 40, what does Jesus keep saying? This is not unto death, but so that what? The glory of God would be revealed. That's what this is about. Jesus came to work to put on display the glory of His Father. Water into wine. He's the one who brings the new covenant in and sees the old covenant go out. He heals the royal official's son. He's one who can certainly command healing from a distance. He is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. He healed the lame man. He fed the 5,000. He healed the blind man. He walked on the water. All of these signs pointing to the greatness, the glory of God in Christ. What's our response to this? Like it says in John 5.20, marvel. Marvel at this. Don't let these signs grow old. This is Christ, our Savior. Believe that Christ and the Father are one, John 10.30. No other man behaved like God. Right? That's what you see in Jesus. You, that's why that this is, this is the, the connection of our faith. Creation, like we said in point number one, displays the glory of God. Then we saw someone who came as a man, real man, and behaved like the Creator. Ah, now He tells me what is true. He says this word is true. The creation tells me there's a Creator. That man acted like a Creator, and He tells me His word is true. Now I know what's true. I know what light is. I know what darkness is. Believe Him. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that by believing, you may have life, eternal life, by the power of His name, the NIV says. I love that. You have life through the power, the authority of His name and all that it reveals about His power to save. John 20, 31. Trust Him. Trust Him continually. Why do we not trust such a glorious God-man, the Savior, Jesus Christ? Number four, the greatest work of Christ through which we may behold the glory of God is the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus said Himself, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Father, glorify Your name. He's coming to the cross. Glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. John 13, 31-32, when He had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him at, in Himself and glorify Him at once. John 17, 1 and 2, When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. When we come to the Gospel of John and look there at the glory of God on the cross, what do we see? What do we see? These themes, these topics are, are so vast that we just have to pick a couple of things, really. There's no end to seeing and savoring the glory of God in Christ displayed at the cross. Again, we know John, the same author, wrote in the book of Revelation that the song of the cross is what we will sing for how long? Forever. So there is no end to the seeing and savoring and singing of the glory of Christ at the cross. So what shall we speak of? What shall we speak of? What shall we praise as we behold the glory of God on the cross? I just want to point out two. We come to the Gospel of John. As, and when we walked many years ago now through the Gospel of John, I came to the cross and, and one of the things that just reached out and grabbed me was the sovereignty of God in Christ as he was coming to the cross. John writes his eyewitness account of the suffering and crucifixion of Christ we do not see in the Gospel of John a helpless victim. He makes that unbelievably clear. We see the Lion of Judah laying down his kingly life voluntarily in unparalleled sacrificial love. Let me read to you some of these texts. John 10. He says in John 10, you can certainly... Jot down the reference, verses 10 through 18. I'll just read a a verse or two from that section. He said in verse 18, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It was Jesus' choice to die on the cross. John 13, 21 speaks similarly. He gave himself. How, I should say this. How did Jesus then show that that was true? How did he show that? Well, it looked like he was just taken and crucified, wasn't he? How, what hints do we have? One of the things is, is he initiated his own betrayal, didn't he? John 13, 21. And 26 to 27, he told Judas what? Go. What you're going to do, do it quickly. Jesus initiated his own betrayal. Jesus initiated where he would be arrested and when, John 18, 1 through 2, he chose to cross the Kidron Valley. That would have been red with the blood of lambs that were being sacrificed in the temple. He chose to go to the garden on the Passover. All of these things working together as a glorious display of who He is and what He came to do. John 18, verses 3-9, through we see there that Jesus delivered Himself into custody. The band of soldiers was coming. You know, Judas' sort of mob with their pitchforks and torches, and, and he's like, who are you guys looking for? 
oh, the sovereignty of Christ. Here I am, right? And what happens to them? They all fall down. Hey, here I am, you know? It's, but he's sovereign over this entire crucifixion. He delivered himself into their custody. He demanded his disciples' release. Remember that? And they fled. And he declared his name. I am he. There's, there's no victimizing of Jesus. He is the sovereign lion laying down his life. John 19.11, Jesus spoke of the Father's sovereignty. He said to Pilate, it's not you. You would have nothing apart from what authority has been given to you. Right? Even there in the garden, John 18, 10-11, He healed the man who Peter cut off his ear, put it back on and said, Peter, put your sword away. This is not why we're here. Shall I not do the very thing for which I've been sent? Sovereignty. He is on a mission. He is going to the cross. John 19.14, Jesus' title through mockery was yet the truth. What was the title given to Him at the cross? The King of the Jews. This is, this is the lion laying down His life. John 19.23-24, the very last things that Jesus wore were used to fulfill prophecy. Jesus get up that morning. I don't know how many wore, you know, pieces of clothing He had. Probably not many. But what He put on. Could imagine him just thinking, I know what's going to happen to these today. I'm going to fulfill Psalm 22 today. John 19, 28 to 30. Even the timing of his death, he finished certain things before he said, I thirst. It is finished. And then what does it say? He gave up his life. And he did it before. What? The soldiers walked by to crush his leg bones to make sure he was dead because to fulfill Scripture that not a bone would be broken. John 19, 31-37. We see at the cross the glory of sovereignty. This is God's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes like Psalm 118 says. This is the day the Lord has made. Boy, that's used in so many <laughs> for so many days. It's only talking about one day. It's talking about that day, the day of the atonement. This is the Lord's day. It is marvelous in our eyes. It is His doing. And we rejoice in it. Not only do we see the glory of the sovereign lion of Judah willingly, sacrificially, laying down his life, but we also see the glory of the sinless Lamb of God as the substitute sinners under the wrath of God. I can't help but see this in the Gospel of John. The glory of sinlessness. As the Gospel of John unfolds, the sinlessness of Christ as the Lamb of God is put on display. Nowhere is the sinlessness of Christ more exalted in the Gospel of John than in the unfolding of the events of the cross. And that's... It's so ironic because a cross was a place where the worst of criminals died, right? And yet here, this is where the sinless one is dying. Remember, even as he was being examined by Caiaphas 
and Annas, and they were trying so hard to find someone who would stand up and say that he had gotten something wrong in all of his years of public teaching, they could find the words, two words, come in the Gospel of John, John 18.23, no wrong. Even the witnesses wouldn't agree. It was all a farce. You, couldn't, you could never find a sinless word or a sinful word that came from the mouth of our Savior. Then, as he was sent to Pilate, hoping, the Jews hoping that, that, that he could find something wrong with him, John 18.30 and verse 38, John 19, verses 4 and 6, what did Pilate say over and over and over again? No guilt, no guilt, no guilt. I find no guilt in him. And his inscription, right? John 19, 19 through 22. What is an inscription? An inscription would have been placed over the head of the one crucified, listing their sins, the reasons why they are crucified. And what do you have there? The king of the Jews. There's no sin listed there. And of course, the, the Jews pushed back on that. They wanted, they wanted that inscription to look like he had blasphemed by saying, put up there, please. He said he was the king of the Jews, which in their minds would have been baptism, uh, blasphemy. Blasphemy. But he said what? What did Pilate say? What I've written, I've written. He is the king of the Jews. No guilt on his inscription. Only the truth of a sinless, sovereign Savior. And of course, John the Baptist sums it up. John 1.29. John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What glory do you see when you look on the cross of Christ? You see the sovereign God of heaven and earth in human form. You see the sovereign God-man who could have, with one word, destroy the entire Roman army, give himself willingly to be crucified. You see the sinless God-man who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten. Kept entrusting himself to the righteous judge. And as a sheep, before its shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. You see the sinless God-man who bore in his own body on the cross the guilt of sinners, the wrath of God the Father, until it was finished. Can't you see the glory of God in Christ here? Sinless, sovereign, sacrificing himself, being our substitute. When you look at Christ on the cross and see him there, do you see your sacrificial Savior? Is he, for, is he there for you? He is if you believe. Will you? Will you turn from sin if you have not yet and trust completely in his work on the cross? Finally, one more work of Christ. The exaltation of Christ. We see the glory of Christ at his exaltation. When we say the exaltation of Christ, we mean three things. His resurrection, his ascension, his session. These are things that God did with Christ. God raised him from the dead. That certainly affirmed his identity. It affirmed that he was indeed the Messiah, the one anointed and approved by God to take away the sin of the world. It also accredited his atonement. By raising him, the father said, indeed, like you said, son, it is finished. I'm saying it's finished too and well-pleasing, so I raise you from the dead. His ascension is 
the proof that the man, Christ Jesus, entered His eternal glory as King of kings and Lord of lords and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And in so doing, He made a way to glory for His followers. The exaltation then also speaks of His session. The work of Christ now in our behalf. He is interceding for us as a priest and He is administrating over His church as our King. But specifically, how is Jesus glorified in His exaltation? And there are many answers to this question, but let's look at just a few from the Gospel of John. There are a few places where John refers to the exaltation or the glorification of Christ. On the, day, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, <coughs> whom those who believed in him were to receive. For yet, as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's talking about his exaltation there. So what do we see here? We see the glory of Christ in that he is identified as Lord and Christ. With his exaltation, the Holy Spirit was sent to live in believers. Acts 2, 22-36 speaks of that. It was the sign that he had indeed sat down at the right hand of the Father as King of kings and Lord of lords. He has the place of highest authority. He is the giver of the Spirit and He is the giver of eternal life. His exaltation glorifies Him as that very One. The One of highest authority, the giver of the Spirit, the giver of eternal life, Lord and Christ. Look at another. This is at His, his coming into Jerusalem. We often call it Palm Sunday. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Isn't that interesting? They watch this and they're like, what is going on? But when Jesus was glorified, when he was raised from the dead, when he was seated as Lord, when he sent the Spirit, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Could you imagine that? It's like they're storing up all of this by the Spirit of God in their mind's eye as they watch the witness, they witness the life of Christ. And after the Spirit had come and gave them greater insight, remember when he was on that donkey coming in? We were so confused. Now it makes sense. What did they see? That He is the blessed One. The, the happy God who came in Yahweh's name. He is the one who is the King. Right? They say it twice in here. Behold your King. He is the King. 
And he is the one who is the answer to this cry, Hosanna. He is the one who came to save now. That's what we see in the exaltation of Christ. Jesus said in John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also, we'll get this, right? Do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to my Father. That's his exaltation. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How does the exaltation of Christ bring him glory? Well, he has the authority and power to enable his disciples by his Spirit to do great works. Never had anything happened like this before. Jesus ascended, sent the Spirit, inhabited his disciples, and they scattered throughout the world and by His grace, built the kingdom of God. Has the authority. He has the authority and power to do whatever His disciples ask in His name. He has the authority and power to work through His disciples and bring great glory to His Father. There's so much we could talk about there, but our time is, is gone. John 16, Jesus says, He will glorify Me. Speaking of the Spirit, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Christ himself sent the Spirit so that he would be glorified by the Spirit, revealed by the Spirit through the Scriptures. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, verse 24 of Jesus' prayer, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What is this saying? By Christ being glorified again in the presence of His Father reveals Him to be who He has eternally been, the beloved Son. And we're going to see it someday. We're going to go to be with Christ and see the Father love Him and be amazed at what is shared among the persons of the Trinity. We'll delight in it forever. We'll see it displayed. That will glorify the Son. And one final text. John 5, 21 to 29. An amazing, stunning, powerful text. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son, what? gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? Why has the Father set up all these things that they would be accomplished through Christ? Through Christ. We'll talk about more of that on Sunday, Lord willing. Why? Verse 23, so that all will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Why is Jesus the Savior? Why is He the Judge? Why is He the Resurrected One? Why does He give life? And so on. Because the Father wants us to honor the Son as He is honored. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live as the Father has life in Himself. So as He granted the Son to have life in Himself. Verse 27. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Because of what He suffered as the God-Man. Do not marvel at this. 
For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What do we see here? The exalted Christ will be honored and glorified eternally because He's the life giver and He will judge. He's the judge. He will stand before all who come before His presence in coming into eternity as they stand before Him and He will judge perfectly. Behold the glory of God in Christ so that we may believe on Him, love Him, follow Him. What's our responses to all of this? How do we respond? This is so much, right? Look at the glory of Christ and His creation. His Revelation, his incarnation, crucifixion, his exaltation. The one who gives life and will judge. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Israel? Come and see. Come and see the glory of God. That's our first response. Just come and look. Keep coming to look at Jesus. John 1.51 if you do, Jesus said, I'm going to show you lots more. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Never stop coming to see the glory of Christ. That will be our eternal activity and delight. Another response. I think of so many. This is really all one, but I just enjoyed going back through the Gospel of John to see how many different times this response was spoken of. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The response to His glory is believe. Believe that He is who He said He is. And trust Him and Him alone for eternal life. His disciples began to believe in Him. Nicodemus was invited to believe in Him. The Samaritans believed in Him. The royal official calculated and said, well, what time did my son get better? It was exactly when Jesus said He would be healed. And he believed. Peter, you alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know. Can, can you confess that with Peter? The more you know and have the glory of Christ revealed, are you more and more convinced that He is the one in whom your trust rests soundly? The man born blind. Jesus comes to him after healing. It's such a tender, wonderful scene. The man born blind. And Jesus comes to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And what does He say? Who is He, Lord, that I may believe in Him? I am he who speaks to you. I believe. Right? Glorious. He had opened his eyes to see his glory. He believed. That's, that's what we're called to. Many, John eleven forty five. 45. I mean, Lazarus is walking around. <laughs> and many believed in him. John 14, 1 through 6. We're called to believe. 
We're also called to sin no more, right? John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We are called to come, but in the coming, remember what Jesus said to the man who he made well. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. What? Sin no more. That nothing worse may come may happen to you. When you are when you are opened and exposed to the glory of God in Christ, and you believe and you are saved, it then is upon us to serve Him as Lord and love Him as our King. John 2.5, His mother said to His servants, what? Do whatever He tells you. That's good advice, isn't it? Do whatever He tells you. John 20.28, 20, Thomas answered Him, My Lord and my God. That's the response to His glory. This is something to consider well. John 5.44, Jesus looked at these religious people and He said to them, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? 12.43, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I want to ask you this question. Do you love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God? That is a soul-piercing question. If we love to be praised by people, and we love the greatness of man, we will not see the glory of God. They're mutually exclusive. You, in your life, will either wholeheartedly seek to pursue, and we all fall greatly short, but where is your heart's direction? Is it to seek to Think much of man? To be praised by man? That will constantly contradict the pathway that leads to seeing the glory of God. You can't exalt both the glory of man, the glory of God. And if you're seeking the glory of man, you will be pressed to compromise receiving and believing the glory of God. Think on it, dear ones. May we live for the glory of God alone. All may honor the Son. Honor Him. Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Abide in Him. Abide in Me and I in you. John 21, 15. Love Him. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? John 21, 22. Follow Him. Jesus said to him, if it is My will that He remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. These are the fitting responses to seeing Christ as He is in His glory. How are you responding to this? How are you responding to the glory of Christ? May it be in belief, love, and devoted following by the grace of God. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we come to Your Word and we have seen a little bit, a tiny bit of Christ's glory. And again, no matter how many times we walk through it together, it is absolutely amazing. And it, it encourages us. It increases our faith. It stirs us to fresh trust in Him and love for Him. And yet, Father, we always fight with the glory that comes from man. May we give it up. May we give it up. May we think little of ourselves. May we think little 
of the, of the praise that comes from people and think only of desiring to see Christ in the fullness of his glory and be devoted to him. Father, make our hearts beat like that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.